Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. Did y'all hear about the CEO of Ikea? Yeah, the CEO. (laughs) Wow, what a crowd this morning. The CEO of Ikea was elected the Prime Minister of Sweden. Yeah, his first job, assembling his cabinet. I told my mom that joke. She doesn't know what Ikea is, and she was like, I don't get it. But if you know what Ikea is, you get it. All right. You know Murphy's Law? Everybody heard of Murphy's Law? Have you heard of Cole's Law? Cole's Law, it's mostly cabbage and mayonnaise. (laughs) Sorry, couldn't resist. (laughs) All right. um, I tell you what, I'm going to jump ahead. I'm going to jump ahead. (laughs) I know you guys stood for a bit, but... um, I want to I go straight to the scriptures, then we can come back and talk a little bit, all right? So would you stand to your feet in honor of God's Word? We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 16. So, sorry, overhead people, I do this to you occasionally. Luke chapter 16, starting verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what's this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. All right, can we stop right there? Does this sound like a good story for the manager? Would you like it if you had somebody overseeing your household, your checkbook, your finances, and they were throwing it away? Would you like that? Oh, you don't like yourself, huh? No, sorry. It would make you mad, though, right? If you found out somebody was just throwing your money away, if you put money in an investment only to find out that it was losing money when the market was climbing, would that make you happy? No. And you would then say, you're fired, right? You would hopefully say you're fired. You wouldn't give somebody whose job it is to make you money in an economy that's going up and they're losing you money. You wouldn't give them a second chance, I don't think, right? You shouldn't. That's the story. A lot of times we miss this story because we jump to the answer first. But let's get the story. This guy is literally not doing his job. And the boss is calling him in. He's going to fire him. So what's going on? Well, the manager said to himself, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do now? I'm going to get fired. The master is taking away my job, right? Everything's cool. All right, let's go to the next one. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, I'll still be welcome into people's houses. (laughs) So he called in each one of his master's debtor, and he stole again. He asked first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Then he said, well, quick, take your bill, sit down, make it 450. I don't know whether he shaved the interest off. I don't know. I I have no idea. But the whole point is, is that he did owe 900. Now he owes what? 450, half of it. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat. And he replied, take your bill, make it 800. 
Once again, what did he do? He's going to get fired for doing what? Doing this. And yet he does it again. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had, what? Hold on, wait, wait. So I go to my investment banker that has been keeping my $1,000 for that, that I've stored up for retirement. Because <laughs> I'll retire when I'm 95. Get used to me, I'll be around a while. So anyway, um, yeah, I go and he's wasted it. And now I'm down to 800 bucks and I'm like, wow, I'm going to fire you. So you know what he does? He sells all my interest and now I'm down to 600 bucks. And I say, you did a good job. Does this story make sense? All right, so this is what's called a plot twist. What is a plot twist? It's a device used in writing and storytelling to get you to stop and think about what's going on because there's an expected result and the expected result isn't happening. Are y'all following me here? All right, so what's going on? The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Well, everybody listening to the story goes, no, that's not right. And then Jesus says this, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. I tell you, here's the takeaway, I tell you what? Use worldly wealth. Do what with it? Use it. Use your worldly wealth. Use the little time, use the little opportunity you have so that, and use it to gain friends or to make the world better, to, to make the place better so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into not your friend's dwellings, but where? Eternal dwellings. So the difference I make here on this earth prepares for me eternal dwellings. Whoever, then Jesus says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. Woo. And then he says this, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with with what? Say those next two words with me. True riches. Money is not true riches, but there apparently is such a thing as true riches. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one, love the other, you'll be devoted to one, despise the other. So you can't serve two masters. And we're supposed to hear, you cannot serve both God and the devil. But we don't hear that. What do we hear? You cannot serve both God and money. So, Father, I pray that today you would add your blessing to the speaking of your word and let our hearts hear it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Smile at somebody real big for your seated. Just let them know you like them and you can give them a big smile. Online, here's a big smile. All right, y'all ready? All right. So when I, I guess, I guess you know I'm going to talk about money now. We're talking about kingdom builders. And uh, you ever been driving down the road and you look up in front and see all the traffic stopped? What do you do immediately? You don't even think twice. What do you do? You're off the gas and on the brake, right? Hopefully you're on the brake. If you're not on the brake, you need to go back and learn how to drive. You don't wait until somebody's tail end to put on the brakes, right? It's called a brake tap, right? Or you're driving down the road and you see something flash from the side of the road, what do you immediately do? Brake tap, right? Are y'all with me? Anybody know this other than me? You do this on a regular basis, right? Car cuts in front of you, you brake tap. That is an immediate knee-jerk reaction to a stimulus 
that happens when you think you're in danger driving. When I say we're going to talk about money in church, (laughs) most people, they just brake tap. And you brake tap, you're like, oh no, here we go again. Why would that be? Why? What is the inner motivation behind that? It could be that there are bad experiences in the past. You know, a lot of people have abused God's church in attempts to get rich. Did you know that? The perfect example, in the fall of 1517, a Dominican friar named Johann Tetzel was reported to have preached to the faithful that they could purchase a letter of indulgence to give them forgiveness of sins if they paid enough money. And that led to a guy you may have heard of, Martin Luther, posting his 95 Theses on the door of the church at Wittenberg, and he was saying, this isn't right. Somebody was abusing God's message for money. In my lifetime, there have been a few people that have done this. You might have heard some of these stories. In 1977, a guy named Oral Roberts said he had a vision of a 900-foot-tall Jesus. You've got to say it the right way. And he told him to found the City of Faith Medical Center and Research Center. The biography, in his biography, he said the center was aimed at merging the healing power of medicine and prayer, which I would think is pretty cool. But do you need a 900-foot-tall Jesus? Sorry, I'm making fun of him because in 1986, Robert announced that God would call him home unless he raised $8 million. <laughs> the announcement raised him $9.1 million. But the center still closed in 1989 anyway. Did y'all hear about televangelist Creflo Dollar? Yeah, the plane. <laughs> wow, that's going back to the 80s right there. The plane, the plane. Anyway. If you don't get that, go look up the original Fantasy Island, not the lousy one they have now. In 2015, he was ridiculed for asking his followers to raise $65 million for him so he could have a Gulfstream 650. Dollar said he needs one of the most luxurious private jets today in order to share the gospel of Jesus. (laughs) Got to say it the right way. Not Jesus. 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 2015, maybe you saw the video, it it went viral, where a lady interviewed a guy named Kenneth Copeland, who laid out why he needed a luxury private jet to do his job. And I quote, you can't talk to God while flying commercials. You can't manage that today in this dope-filled world, getting a long tube with a bunch of demons. Wow. Anyway... He, he had two other jets, but he wanted a third one. So he wanted a $54 million jet so he could fly, literally quoting him, to his vacation homes. How many of you think that's sort of over the top? A little too far? Yeah. Yeah. I can't fly commercial because there's demons in the plane. How can I be expected? All right. Paul warned this would happen. He said in 1 Timothy 6, 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money 
is the root of all kinds of evil. And I still hear one bad pig saying that. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, so let's talk about us, all right? Let's not talk about those weirdos anymore. But you, man of God, woman of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. There's a break tap, maybe because of the bad reputation, but do you stay on the break? Maybe if you're staying on the break, it's not about the bad experiences. Maybe there's something deeper. Maybe it isn't just that some leaders abuse the system to line their pockets. Maybe it's something in us that's the problem. You know, we're quick to point out greed in other people. If I had their kind of money, I could do blank, 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 or I would do. Well, you don't. So why are you looking at them? Greed is easy to see in someone else, but it's hard to see in the mirror. And what we, it's hard to see in ourselves because we get used to ourselves and our desires. So a couple years ago, uh, my wife wanted a new bathroom counter upstairs. So I did what good husbands do. My wife wanted it. I pulled it out. Pulled it out. When I pulled the old one off the wall, wall they had glued, you know, that, that stuff that you get, the wood covered with formica, they would glued it to the wall. So when I ripped it off the wall, it ripped half the backing of the, the drywall off. It was a big hole in the wall, all that kind of stuff. Y'all know, y'all get a picture of this? So what I did was, you know, I spackled it and I, it took me like a week to do it the right way because I'm not mad vertebrae. It took me like a week to try to get it half right, not right, but half right. And I get it half right. And my wife, you know, my wife and I, she worked really hard. We not only painted the bathroom, she, she went over and did that you know, sponge painting. And I mean, she took a lot of work on it. And there's just this one little patch. And I'm like, well, I'll repaint this, but I don't want to repaint the whole thing and mess up her bathroom. And it, three years later, there's still a bathroom patch on the wall. <laughs> Drywall patch still on the wall three years, three years later. I wake up, you know, we were talking about this sermon, and the fact is, for three years, that patch has been there, and I not once have thought to myself, you know, I should do something about that, because I have learned to live with it. Of course, if I go to sell my house, that's the first thing i got to fix, right? A couple years ago, we decided to invite everybody over to our house, everybody in the church in groups of 10 to come over to our house. And first thing that I said, I'm going to do that, my wife said, oh no, we got to get new carpet. Here's the deal, and, and the reason I use those stories are this, is that what happens is we get comfortable in our mess, in our world, and our justifications of how we live our life. We get so comfortable in it that we don't even realize it until we come to a church service like this, and all of a sudden, God starts tapping on our heart and saying, hey, it's about time you paint, it's about time you make some changes, and we break tap him. What I'd like you to do today is pull your foot off the brake. I'd like you just to hear the three things that Jesus is going to say in this message, okay? Real simple, real quick. Can we do this? All right, number one, first thing Jesus says, the first declaration is, we are managers. You're a manager. 
Jesus uses the story of a bad manager to reveal the truth that we're all managers. The word here means one who takes care of the estate lands business of the owner. So there is an owner, and this guy ain't it. He's simply a manager. Scripture teaches us that everything we have is God's. It's very clear that everything you have is God's, and you are simply a manager of all of his stuff. As a matter of fact, it, it's not just your stuff. It's not just what you own. It's your very life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, when talking of death, it says, the, body re- the dust returns the earth as it was, and life's breath returns the God who gave it. So your very life is going to be taken from you at some point in this life. You're going to die, and when you do, your body's going to go back to dust, and your breath, your spirit, will return back to God. So you don't even own your life. You're just a manager of this life. And if God doesn't, didn't we talk about this a couple weeks ago? Jesus said to fear those, the one, fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. God has the power to destroy you. He has the power to destroy you. He is in control and the owner, and you simply manage the time you've got and the breath you've got. (laughs) In some ways, that's a little relieving. Since God is the owner... We're accountable to him. In our story, the manager had been wasting the master's provision, his possessions, and he's called to give an account. He is actually judged by the owner. Little truth for you here. Romans chapter 14, verse 12 says, Therefore, each one of us will be judged by God for the things we've done in this body. We will give an account of ourselves to God. God owns you. God owns all that you own. God owns everything. He is the owner. He's in charge. You're the manager. You're the what? Say it with me. I'm the manager. Say it with me again. I'm the manager. That means you have power, but that doesn't mean you have control. And a lot of our fear and anxiety and depression in this culture that we're all dealing with is because we think we have control and undermine our power. But God gave you power, but he has control. When you get those two switched, you make you God and you're not equipped to be God. All right, second of all, use what you manage wisely. There's a plot, plot twist here. We talked about that. I tell you, Jesus said, he wanted to teach this truth, different thinking. Use worldly wealth. So use the things you have in this world to gain friends for yourself. That's not manipulation. This is a plot twist. It's simply saying that the people around you are important. And use what God has given you to make their lives better. By the way, every research that's ever been done, all the research says that if a person is going to overcome depression and anxiety, that what they have to do is quit being self-focused and become others-focused. By the way, I read an article yesterday, read it early yesterday morning. This article says that when you continue to attend worship services, do you realize your health is like a third better than people who do not attend worship services? 
So if for nothing else, why? Because you're here and you're interacting with people. The more you interact with other people, believe it or not, I know that, that there are people that are still sitting at home watching on, watching on their TV and all that kind of stuff at home, and I'm glad you're doing that, but you need to get in a group, even if it's, a, go to a life group. Even if you won't come here, go to a life group. Do something, but you have to stay connected to the body. You have to. So that's how you become healthy is you stay connected to the body. And you use your life here and now to invest in other people, not just to be all about yourself. So when the manager realized he only had a little time and a little opportunity, what did he do? He acted. A little time. He was being called before the owner to give an account. He only had a little time. Not much. Little time. By the way, your life yesterday is done with. You will never have yesterday ever again. This morning, you will never have this morning ever again. You're getting older every single moment, and you will never get that one back. And you might as well decide that you're going to use the rest that you got the right way and quit complaining about what happened yesterday. You only got a little time, and you got a little opportunity. We all have an opportunity. This guy realized that he had a limited set of skills. He can't dig, and he's ashamed to beg. So he capitalized on what he could do, and he could make friends. So he was commended by the master for using, not for what he did, but for using his resources in the time that he had. So we were at general counsel. Um, uh, me and my wife went down to general counsel this year. That's the Assemblies of God parent organization. We have a big meeting and they do voting and all that kind of stuff. So we go down. It's our responsibility. Well, there are delegates from all over the world at general counsel. So one day we're driving into one of the meetings. And as we're driving in, I go to a store to get us, of course, a, a Diet Mountain Dew to keep me awake during the meetings. And I, I stop in the store to get it. And I'm behind this man and his wife. And this man and his wife, I look down, and they're wearing the same badge I am because they're from general counsel too, and I look at what they're buying. They're buying foodstuffs. They're buying simple foodstuffs, fruits, loaf of bread. They're, they're buying water in jugs so they can drink it. And they're, they're buying their lunch and their dinner for the next couple of days in this store. And I'm like, I look down, and I notice... They're not speaking English. They're from somewhere in Africa. I read their sign. They're somewhere in Africa. They probably spent all their money to get there, and they didn't know how expensive it was going to be, and they don't have enough money to eat at restaurants all week long. And I'm like, so I step up, and I see them sort of debating on what they can buy and what they can't buy. You know what I'm talking about? And they're having this discussion as they're walking, you know. And I just said to the guy behind the counter, I said, whatever they buy, I'm paying for it. Get them whatever they want. I'll pay for it. You know something happened in that store that day. I don't think that couple realized until they went to pay and the guy said, no, 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 go ahead, because they didn't speak English that much, and they didn't know what was going on, and they weren't that impacted. But you know who was impacted? The guy behind the counter and the guy behind me in line. Both of them were grumpy, and all of a sudden they start smiling and talking and laughing, and we start having a good time. And there's, well, wow, that's really cool. You know, that's, people do stuff like that still today, you know. Why would you do that? Well, Jesus is my Lord, and I just want to love somebody. The whole atmosphere shifted because I used a little bit of an opportunity to make an impact on their lives. 
Not on their lives impacted, the people around. You know it's your kids that watch you be generous. Why do you think we do Harvest Palooza? One of our kingdom builders' uh, um, projects is Harvest Palooza. Why do we do it? Why do we do it? Why do we give away 15, this past year we spent $15,200, I believe it is, on Harvest Palooza. Why would we spend $15,000 on Harvest Palooza? Why would we do all that? Come on, did you see anybody in the community smile when we gave them free food, when we gave them free hot dogs, when we, they had fireworks? Did you see any smiles? Did attitudes change? Yeah, we give because our giving changes our world. So use what you manage wisely. So God is urging us to use our resources wisely. I have a core belief. Let me give you my core belief. All right, you ready? Put this core belief up on the screen. God's way of living is better than my way. Core belief. Somebody just said, no, I've got to live my own truth. I've got to live my truth. What if your truth is stupid? What if your truth is just flat out factually wrong? What if your truth is actually leading to your destruction? I have a core belief. Core belief is this. God's truth, God's way, is better than my way. And if at any point I disagree with him, I should shut up and do it his way. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm just simply saying this, that God's got a better way of living and I know you want to break tap and not do his way of living, but his way is better than your way. It leads to more peace and joy and happiness. And I could show you study after study after study after study that proves those things. But the problem is, is we think TikTok way is the right way. We think greed way is the right way. So what did Jesus say? Just simply about money. Let's, let's do this quickly. I'll do it super fast. Acts 20, 35. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So let's talk about giving. Let's just make, break this down super duper fast. We've got a giving ladder. I want, you're somewhere on this ladder, okay? The first step is your first time giver. You've never really given, and it's your first time to give. Welcome. Welcome to the fun. It's going to be fun. First time giving is always fun. Somebody's going to start giving this time. You've never given before. It may be a dollar, but it's something. That's the first time giver. The next one's the responsive giver. Those are the ones that when you saw that women's empowerment video, you're like, I want to give some money to help ladies like that. And that's responsive. It comes from the heart. It's a compassion that comes up within you. And that kind of giving is good. It's a wonderful kind of giving. And it feels good in the moment. But the problem is, is it doesn't actually change the world that much. It just feels good to you in that moment. And you know you're doing something that makes a little investment and it's a little. It's good. I'm gonna, I want to value it. I want to reward it. And if you're moved by that, then give some money to help us support those ladies. We're going to give it to people who wind up giving it to support ladies' empowerment around the world. Then there's consistent giver. Those are the ones that you just make giving a part of your life. This is a value that you have, that I believe it's more blessed to give than to receive, and that's a consistent thing that I do. But then there's the next step, and that's a percentage giver. And the Bible talks about this percentage giver as a, a person that tithes. Uh, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 30 says, a tithe of everything belongs to the Lord. How much? 
Everything. A tithe of everything. What is a tithe? Well, it's an old word we don't know. Uh, the Bible says it's 10%. 10%. So to do this kind of radical, crazy giving, I mean radical, crazy giving, you've got to do this. You've got to sit down and figure out how much you make, and then you take a tenth of what you make, and you intentionally give that first before you pay the rest of your bills. That sounds crazy, except for this. I believe that God's way are better than my ways. So I've been tithing since I was a kid, and I lived one year on $6,000, and we made ends meet and didn't go into debt. I don't know how that happened, but I know that God can do the impossible, right? I, I stand here as a person that, that planted a church with no money. We didn't make, my goodness, we didn't make anything. And we somehow raised three kids and how, how does this happen? I don't know how it happens, except I believe that when God says to do it, God's then responsible as the owner to take care of me. It's just what I believe, because it's what the Bible says. So 1 Corinthians 16, 2 says, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. By the way, in case you don't know, what I just outlined for you is the very first step that you have to take to get financially ahead in this world. You know, people who get financially ahead... Do you know what nearly every single one of them does? Every, nearly every one of them budgets. And you know what a budget is? You figure out how much you got, then you figure out where it's going to go. And it's funny to me that people who budget have to take these first two steps. So God's not telling you to do something that won't bless you. He's actually telling you to do something that will bless you by commanding you to take account of what you make and take an account of where you're going to send it so that you know what you have and you know where it's going. And that's the key to getting ahead in this life. Wow. All right. And then lastly of all, there are people who are extravagant givers. Extravagant givers are people like this. They just have an open hand. And God says, I want something. They're like, okay. <laughs> and God says, I want to give you something. They're like, okay. They don't do this. They just do this. They have an open hand. Extravagant givers are people who are characterized by joy. They love to give. They just love it. If you've ever met anybody like this, they just love it. And, and what God says about an extravagant giver is they're cheerful in it, and he's able to bless them abundantly with an open hand so that in all things and all times, having all you need in this hand, he can put in and take out. But God can't put into a hand that's clenched. So I just believe these things, and they're a personal practice of mine. They're mine and my family's. That's what we do. And third of all, good management is rewarded. Jesus said good management is rewarded. Trustworthy manager will be blessed with true riches. Luke 16, 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. Whoever can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, if I can't trust you with a few dollars, if I give you $10, one of my kids, and I say, go and buy your lunch with this on the youth event and then come back and bring me the change, and they come back, oh, I didn't have any change. Where'd you go? Taco Bell. What'd you get? $5 box. Where's the rest of my money? Oh, no. <laughs> when they say, Dad, can I use the car? What am I going to say? Oh, no. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> because if you can't be trusted with little things, how can you be trusted with things that matter? Right. And, and here's what Jesus is telling us. 
is that if you can't be trusted with a few dollars, who's going to trust you with true riches? Have you ever asked yourself what are true riches? What are? True riches are the kind of thing that you leave as a legacy. When my dad left this earth, he didn't leave a lot of money behind him. But you know what he left? He left two boys that loved him. Following Jesus Christ. Left grandkids that loved him. Following Jesus Christ. Healthy, stable people. Left a legacy. True riches. I've known people that would trade their money to get their spouse back. I know people that would trade all of their finances to get their health back. Right? What's truly valuable in your life? Until you figure out what's truly valuable, you won't manage properly. So giving is a way of preparing for eternity. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Notice there's a life that's coming. There's a life that's coming so that they can take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, our band's going to come, and we're going we're to conclude, and I'm not going uh, to take long here. I just want to say this. I did a lot of reading on, on guys who were generous. I got some notes by a guy named John D. Rockefeller. You ever hear of him? John D. Rockefeller? You ever, anybody ever hear of Rockefeller? Yeah. He said, when asked about his giving, his response was, yes, I tithe, and would like to tell you how it came about. I began as a small boy to help support my mother. My first wages amounted to a buck fifty a week. The first week after I went to work, I took the buck fifty home to my mother. She held the money in her lap and explained to me that she would be happy if I would give a tenth to the Lord. I did, and from that week until this day, I have tithed every dollar God has entrusted to me. And I want to say that if I had not tied the first daughter, I, dollar I made, I probably wouldn't have tied the first million dollars I made. That's J.C. Penney. I did research on him. You know what J.C. Penney had? He had a bunch of money. He worked really hard. He used his father's Christian principles to make money to be a moral good seller of goods. And his stores grew because he worked hard, but he wound up having a nervous breakdown and he was in the home in his nervous breakdown. Anxiety overwhelmed him. And while he was there, a Methodist preacher came by and sang a hymn about how Jesus takes care of all of our needs. And at that moment, J.C. Penney trusted Jesus with his life. And he said that's the moment he got the true riches. Yeah, later he went on and he gave, he's legendary in his giving. But it all started in a moment where he got true riches over worldly riches. The worldly riches put him in the place breaking down. But the true riches gave him life that lasts forever and a legacy that left behind him. What do you want? Part of the reason we do Kingdom Builders every year is I have to talk to you about where your treasure is. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't do it. It will not work. You have to make up your mind. 
So the brake cap might be okay, but if you stay on the brake, what you're doing is you're saying, I don't want Jesus' true riches in my life. So I'd like you to do this. This is not about me making money because this is not about money. This is about your heart being devoted to Jesus. That's what I'm talking to you about. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot do it. You cannot. You cannot serve both God and money. Do you know that? You can't do it. It's not my words. That's who? Jesus. So, Father, I pray that today we would open our hearts to Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, including the dollars that we are entrusted with as managers. And we would honor you. If there's someone here that they have not made Jesus their Lord, I pray that right now in their heart they would make that confession. Jesus be my Lord. And then God, I pray that they would begin to show it and act it and walk it out. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I asked the band to play this song because this chorus, uh, this bridge says it all. Could we just stand and could we sing this morning to close?